Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu from the podcast team at Qalam. We wanted to wish you a very blessed Ramadan. This month you can expect daily uploads that will include reflections, khatiras and khutbas all from our new campus Alhamdulillah. If you benefit from this content, please give generously at supportqalam.com. 100% of your donations goes towards the means of providing accessible Islamic knowledge to people around the world. Jazakumullah khairan for listening. Bismillah walhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Everyone with me say, Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad. You know, it's such an interesting experience, subhanAllah, when you look at the conclusion of the month of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to finish the month strong. May Allah accept all of our deeds. A lot of scholars, when you look at the different statements that they write about the conclusion of Ramadan, they will talk about different, uh, you know, analogies. They'll give different, you know, metaphors or similes, tashbih, like they'll make a commonality between two things. One of the things that you see is that the scholars reference that the end of Ramadan for the believer, for the person who engaged in the month of worship and found the sweetness during those fasts and during those nights of prayer, the moments of charity and of Salah and Qur'an, that the analogy between the believer in that moment is similar to the analogy of the Sahabi as they experience the final days of the Prophet Muhammad's life. They'll say that the closest thing that a person who did not live during the time of the Prophet can, can, can relate to when it comes to the ending of the life of the Prophet is the end of a great month like Ramadan. That it's, it's the closest thing that we'll feel. And the reason why they say that is because there's a lot of overlap, there's a lot of similarity between the two experiences. Ramadan is a great guest, it's an honored guest. Scholars mention it as a guest that comes once a year, stays with us for 30 days, and it's a generous guest because most guests they take from their hosts, but the, really, really, but the really, really memorable ones, they give experiences to their hosts that are way, way more than anything than the host could have given back. And so this month is a very special month. And I saw a tweet today. Qalat, she said. She said something really profound. She said, how am I supposed to explain to my coworkers, those of, you know, those of which are not uh, Muslim in faith, that... The end of Ramadan is not something to celebrate me for, or to congratulate me for. That I don't want to be congratulated about this. That it's, it's bittersweet. And that this is the month in which I find the most pleasure in worshiping Allah. And that the last few days, and just to highlight how short we have, the last few hours really, are some of the most somber and some of the most heavy hours that I have every year. And this is what everybody probably is experiencing. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm very excited for daytime coffee, <laughs> as I'm sure everybody here is. But as Mufti Kamani, inshallah, is gonna enlighten us during his talk about the love of Allah, there are some things that even though we love them, we will readily give them up because we love Allah more. The daytime coffee, right? The nights of rest, the money that we earn, that we slip out of our bank accounts, like water, right? These are all experiences that are not contained only in Ramadan, but man, it makes it easier, doesn't it? Try fasting next month. Try fasting six months from now. For some of us, it's like, that's halal? Yes, absolutely. But there's something powerful about this time. Now, when you talk about your companionship with this month, if we're going to personify it and say that Ramadan is a friend, is a guest. And you talk about your friendship with this guest. The closest friend that the Prophet ﷺ had was who? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anh. Abu Bakr, one of the things that was most profound about his life, there are many things that were very amazing about his life, but one of the things that was most profound about his life was that he was so genuinely close to the Prophet ﷺ, with very little barrier, if any really at all. 
that he was somebody who had one of the longest standing, if not the longest standing friendship with the Prophet who was not immediately family, who wasn't blood related, that he was somebody that he triumphed and accomplished so much with regards to his obedience and his following of the Prophet But one thing in particular that I wanted to highlight was that what you see about Abu Bakr that's so incredible, so miraculous, was that all of these things that he accomplished during the life of the Prophet he didn't stop them once the Prophet his life has passed. He didn't become somebody different. In fact, everything he did following the passing of the Prophet's life, it reminded people about the days when the Prophet was alive. His actions became a memory book. His actions became almost like we have yearbooks for school, right? I don't even know if they do that anymore. Year NFTs, I don't know, right? <laughs> we had yearbooks back in the day, right, when paper was a thing. Almost like you had a, a, an artifact or a document that would remind you about the good times. Abu Bakr's actions reminded the companions about the time of the Prophet What a testament to love. What a testament to faith. What an amazing proof in his character of who he was. But there's something that we have to agree upon, we have to understand, that this is not easy. It's not something that can be done. You can't say it and just magically it appears overnight. This process takes a long time. And it takes a lot of dedication, a lot of sacrifice. We hear the stories of Isra and Maraj. The Prophet ﷺ does something quite literally miraculous. I mean, if we were to talk about it, compared to the technology that was available then, compared to the experience that they had then, what was normal then, it was literally impossible to go from Mecca to Jerusalem to Quds. May Allah Ta'ala uplift them from the oppression. To go to Mecca to Jerusalem in one night, to lead all the prophets in prayer, to ascend to the heavens, to experience that amazing mi'raj, right, the, the, the ascension, to speak and to have a conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the way that he did, to come back down, all the miraculous things that occurred that night. And then to come back to Mecca in the same night before the sun had risen the next day, the Prophet ﷺ, he was telling or answering some of the questions he was getting, right? Some of the people, Abu Jahl and others, they were like, why are you smiling so much? What's so, what's so good? And he told them that I went from here to here, I prayed, I met my fraternity of, of prophets, I, I ascended the heavens. He told them, and every single time he was telling them something, as they gathered, what did they do? They started laughing at him. He was sharing his experience in earnest with people who thought he was a joke. But there was one person sitting in front of him just like this person. And a crowd as big as this, maybe bigger, one person. And every time the Prophet said something, and everyone erupted with laughter. Not laughing with him, but at him. Not laughing with him, but at him. Every time the crowd erupted, and the leaders of Quraysh said, yeah, keep going. They loved it. Why? Because this is exactly what we need to show people just exactly how made up this whole thing is. He's helping us convince people not to follow him by giving this incredible story. There was one person that every statement he said, after the people started laughing, you heard one voice, Sadaqti Ya Rasulullah. You're telling the truth, Ya Rasulullah. One person. And every time people laugh, Sadaqti Ya Rasulullah, Sadaqti Ya Rasulullah, over and over again, until finally, as everyone was on their backs in laughter, Jeering and mocking the Prophet ﷺ. You see Abu Bakr with tears in his eyes telling the Prophet ﷺ, I believe you, the Prophet ﷺ says, and to Siddiq. I believe you. You meant it, didn't you? When you said that you believe that I am the Messenger of Allah, you weren't lying. It's not easy. I mean, people ask me what my name is. <laughs> Instead of saying Abdurrahman, right? Abdurrahman, right, the Ain. The barista's like, okay, I get it, right? What do we say? Abdul, right? What's your name? Give an abbreviation. People ask, what are you wearing? Oh, it's a cultural garb. <laughs> Who wears it? Oh, it's very, it's flowing. My culture is very, we're free people. <laughs> As opposed to having the principle of Abu Bakr. Right? 
Half of the reason why people struggle with their faith is because they're ashamed of the Prophet If you have that love that Abu Bakr had, when people come and ask you, like, wait a minute, your Prophet said this, you're like, yeah. This happened during the life of the Prophet A companion was asked by somebody that was not from the community, your Prophet teaches you how to use the bathroom? Your Prophet teaches you how to use the bathroom? And he said, yeah. He does. Everything. How to use it, how to clean, we're A-OK. The other day, wallahi, this hadith came to my mind because I stopped with my son at a gas station. Because of course, when you have a five-year-old boy, when you leave a gathering that has a hundred bathrooms, what do they need? A bathroom. So we stop at a gas station and we go inside. And we ask the person, can you use your bathroom? They say, sure. They go, they unlock the door. And on the ground is a lota, the watering can. You don't water plants with that, though. Just FYI. You can, maybe. Fertilizer. Anyway, so it wasn't, I brought a bottle, everything. I was ready. And you know what my son said? Listen to this. Just like this Sahabi. He goes, they're Muslim. So how do you know that? He said, because this is what we do. And as much as I wanted to bust out laughing. Sadaqa <laughs> Rasulullah. That conviction, that belief will guide you in the darkest moments. Abu Bakr was not just demonstrating for himself, he was showing us what it takes to believe. It takes love. Before Isra Ma'raj in the days of Mecca, when the Muslims were being harassed and tortured, Umayyah bin Khalaf and his you know, goons, they show up to jump the Prophet they're harassing him, they're pushing him, they're doing all kinds of stuff to him. And Abu Bakr says, are you going to torture and harass somebody just because he says, my Lord is Allah? If you're going to go to him, you're going to come through me first. And Abu Bakr was not like Omar. Okay? Abu Bakr was not like a wide set, you know, bulk man. Abu Bakr, when he wore pants, they would slip off his waist. When he wore his izar, it would slip because it was too loose on him. He was a, he was a slender man. And so he says, you got to come through me first. All of these guys, again, they have no, at this point, no ethics, no morals, nothing. Maybe have been drinking a little bit. Who knows? And they start beating and wailing on Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Absolutely. Umayy bin Khalaf had sandals that on the bottom of them, he put marble reinforcement. It was like a design. But it was something that would make the sandal heavier, like this stone, limestone or something. He took off his shoe, and as they pinned Abu Bakr to the ground, he took his shoe, and he pounded him in the face over and over and over until he was unconscious. His family picked him up and carried him back to his house, the house of his father, Abu Quhafa, and when he woke up, none of his family were Muslim at this point. Well, many of them weren't. When he woke up, the first thing out of his mouth is, where's Muhammad, they actually got upset with him. His mother, his father, they said, what are you talking about? Can you for a moment think about yourself? Can you for one moment just think about yourself? You haven't even assessed your own wounds and injuries and you're asking where the Messenger of Allah is, where this Muhammad ibn Abdullah is? And Abu Bakr says, where is he? I will not rest until you take me to him. He can't walk. So they carry him to the house of the Prophet and when Abu Bakr sees the Prophet he jumps up on his feet, finds his energy, goes to the Prophet hugs him from behind, and they're both crying. The Prophet says to him, are you okay? And he says, Ya Rasulullah, if you're okay, then I'm okay. Why am I telling stories of Abu Bakr right now? The 29th night of Ramadan. It's clear to see the impact that his relationship with the Prophet had on him. And even though we don't have that relationship in the flesh like he did, we have a relationship with Ramadan. And I swear to you, in Ramadan, is it not true that you become the best version of yourself? Does your friendship with this month not change you? Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, during the Battle of Tabuk, when the Prophet is collecting wealth to help reinforce the army to go and defend the community, Omar shows up with half his wealth. Omar shows up with half of his wealth. He says, this is it. I'm good. No one's going to beat me today. 
Abu Bakr shows up with all of his wealth. He gives everything he's got. Omar, low-key, is a little annoyed. He's like, seriously, dude, every time I do something, you top me. I can't win. The Prophet asks Abu Bakr, Ya Abu Bakr, what is your family going to have? What did you leave for your family? He says, I left them Allah and His Messenger. That's all they need. You see fundraisers in this month where people are taking off their jewelry, crying because they don't know if they have money, and they're saying, just sell this. I give what I have. I was at a fundraiser in Canada where this literally happened. People giving whatever they had. People were taking off jewelry. People were selling their crypto. Which for those of you who have crypto, you, I know you just broke your will do out of fear. <laughs> now? It's a dip. Don't sell, right? There were people selling crypto. In the fun, I was there. I was there. I saw somebody literally liquidate a lot. Liquidate an ocean of crypto to donate. Why? It's Ramadan. It's Ramadan. Now what happens after Ramadan? It's where it gets hard to talk about. <laughs> One of my teachers used to say the Fajr on Eid is the orphan Fajr. Mm. No one knows and no one cares about it. 29, 30 days, especially the last 10, the Meshit's packed. First of Shawwal, the Meshit's saying, what did I do? I didn't give you the experiences you needed. didn't give you a home. You came and joined to remember your Lord for hours and hours. Sat in the corner, connected with the Quran in a way you never ever felt before. How did I offend you? The masjid feels empty. The truest sign of loyalty is not while your friend is alive, but as Imam Ghazali says, after they pass. The Prophet used to honor his family and friends after they passed by honoring their family and friends who were still alive. Abu Bakr he demonstrated that loyalty time and time again during the life of the Prophet. Mufti Kamani was telling me about a narration that just shatters your heart. During the last khutbah the Prophet gave, the last public address, he's standing on the member in front of his community, knowing that his life is soon to end on this earth. And he announces a very powerful, peculiar, and very daunting announcement. Because not everyone knows that his life is ending, but he does. He says, I have paid back everybody that I owed. Every single person that I owed something to, I paid them back. If you have anything that you need, let me know. But I think that I paid everybody back, except for one person. There's one person I can never repay. And Abu Bakr is standing again here, sitting right here in the front. But this time, instead of saying something, he's silent because he's weeping. His head is bowed forward, tears are rolling down his cheeks. The Prophet says, that person is Abu Bakr. He said, why? Three things. Zawajani ibnatahu. He offered me his daughter's hand in marriage. How can I ever pay him back? I know some of you with your father-in-laws, you're like, wow. Look at these two men, subhanAllah. Then he says, he, he accompanied me on the path to Medina. He joined me, he carried me on that journey. He took me on his shoulders and he carried me. Literally, the Prophet ﷺ rested his head on the lap of Abu Bakr Siddiq while Abu Bakr was being stung with scorpions in his leg over and over again while the Prophet ﷺ slept. He didn't move. The Prophet ﷺ only woke up because he felt tears dripping on his face. He wakes up and says, what's going on, Abu Bakr? Abu Bakr says, Ya Rasulullah, there's a scorpion stinging my leg. He says, why didn't you wake me up? He says, I didn't want to disturb your rest. He carried me to... Dar al-Hijra. And then he says, He gave me all of his money. Every time I asked for help, he gave it to me. As Mufti Saab says, the next part, this is where it gets heavy. 
choked up, sobbing, crying, as the Prophet is dedicating this moment to him in front of everybody, he says, Ya Rasulullah. He says, what am I? What am I without you, Ya Rasulullah? What am I in my money without you? Everything I have, Ya Rasulullah, is given value by your existence in my life. He says, what am I without you, Ya Messenger, or Messenger of Allah? So now, when the Prophet ﷺ passes away, you have this moment where the Prophet ﷺ, as he's passing, people come in to see him and visit him, and after he passes, they come and they pay their respects. Very close family members. Abu Bakr is one of them. He goes to the Prophet ﷺ and he kisses him on the forehead. And he says to the Prophet ﷺ, out of respect, you were beautiful in life, Ya Rasulullah, and you're beautiful in death. I love you, man. I'm going to miss you. He's crying. But then he gathers up the courage, picks himself back up. And this is a person who cried all the time. I really connect to him. <laughs> he, cri- his, he cried so much that his daughter Aisha said, You should, Ya Rasulullah, never make him the Imam. <laughs> well, no, seriously. Never make him the Imam. Why? Because he can't stop crying. You're never going to make it to Rukur. You know when the imam's crying sometimes, you're like, let's just, Allah Akbar, right? Like one person shouts it from the back. This is Abu Bakr. His heart was so soft when he heard the Quran, when he recited it, he couldn't stop crying. Aisha said, it's not practical. Right? His heart so, but the Prophet said, maybe there's something there. And he chose him to be the imam anyways. Maybe there's something there. Maybe people need to see what the Quran can do to the dead heart. So he gathers up his courage, he gathers up his strength, and he walks into the next room, which is the Masjid of the Prophet where Omar is shouting at everybody, if anyone says he's dead, I will kill you. He's not dead. The Prophet did not die. He went to go visit his Lord just like Musa did. So stop talking all this stuff, don't start rumors, and be quiet. Omar is furious out of his own disbelief. Abu Bakr says, Omar, sit down. Omar said when he said that, I knew what, what, what they were saying was true. And he said, I just crumbled. Abu Bakr says this statement that's very powerful. He says, whoever worshipped Muhammad وسلم, know that Muhammad has died. But whoever worships Allah know that he is ever living and he never dies. Can you imagine the love he had for his best friend having to muster up the courage and say those words? And he said this in front of everybody. Because he knew something that we have to know tonight, which is the end of a special relationship does not end what that relationship gave us. It doesn't end who we are. Everything that Ramadan has given you, you possess it. The time is special, sure. There's barakah in the time, there's no doubt. But the things that you've done now are gifts that were shown to you, revealed to you by Ramadan, just like Muhammad showed Abu Bakr the capacity of his faith. And so after the Prophet passes away, Abu Bakr doesn't change. He doesn't become somebody different. He doesn't say, you know what, I'm already one of those people guaranteed paradise. Let me just go and live my life quietly. He's not going to become a bad person, of course, but let me just go live my life quietly, right? Step back a little bit. No. Abu Bakr constantly does whatever he can to make the Prophet ﷺ proud. Even though he knows that he's not there with him, he knows that one day they'll be reunited. And there's one story that I'll finish with before I hand it to Mufti Saab, inshaAllah. The Prophet ﷺ lived his life in the service of people. The woman who cursed the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ, No, no, okay. I just want to make sure he's... The woman who cursed the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ, when she fell ill, what did he do? Checked up on her. The same people that wanted to kill him, that fought him in battle, when they came to him with their hands extended, what did he do? Shook their hands. The Prophet ﷺ was constantly in the service of people. When Abu Bakr is the Khalifa, there's a woman who says, Abu Bakr used to help her milk her goats. Just something he did. 
You should find a woman to help her milk her goats, guys. All right? You have to go to Denton to find that person. She says, well, now that he's become the Khalifa, who's going to milk my goats? <laughs> you know? Meaning what? He's not going to remember us small people. So he says back to her with a smile, trust me, the Khalifa, the Amir al-Mu'mineen, will milk your goats. Another person, the Prophet uh, Abu Bakr used to go every morning after Fajr very quickly and visit somebody. He used to walk out there and go visit, spend some time and then come back. One day Umar noticed this, said this is very strange, where is he going? So he follows him. He follows him. And Abu Bakr al-Siddiq goes and he, on the outskirts of Medina, he enters a house, a small house. Umar goes and he looks and he sees that Abu Bakr is sweeping and doing all kinds of stuff. Stitching clothes, preparing food, you know, opening dates, all this kind of stuff. And then leaving it and then he leaves. Goes back to the city. Umar goes and after Abu Bakr leaves, he knocks on the door and says, Assalamu alaikum. This old woman comes to the door. Why salam? He looks at her and he can tell that she can't see. She's blind. <laughs> and Umar, constantly outdone by Abu Bakr, he knows what's about to happen. He looks at her and he says, Ya Ummi, my mother, are you aware that there's somebody coming into your house every day? And she goes, yeah. And he said, you're aware that there's somebody that comes and does all this work for you in your home? She says, yes. He says, do you know who this person is? In one narration, she says, he refuses to tell me his name. He won't tell me who he is. Later, when Abu Bakr passed away, Omar took it upon himself to do the same thing for her. And he tried to do it with sincerity, to match him. Not going to tell her my name. Change my voice. Assalamualaikum, right? <laughs> it's me, the same guy. He goes inside the house. He takes care of it. After a few days, she calls him and she says, your friend passed away, didn't he? Allah. He's like, you can't see. How did you know? She said, She said, when he used to prepare my dates, he would take the pits out for me. Omar starts crying. And he says, we will never catch you. He said, you're making it very hard for us to compete with you. We'll never catch you, Abu Bakr. The Prophet gave Abu Bakr what he needed. Just like Ramadan gives us what we need. But Ramadan shows us for one month, this is Amin and Humayun, this is Asad, this is Samina, this is On, this is you as a Sahabi. Welcome to the history of the life of the Prophet You always wondered what it would be like, right? Congratulations. But Ramadan says, come give it a try. Augmented reality before augmented reality. You get to live as a companion. And then the most heartbreaking part, when the guest has to leave. I remember as a kid, I used to hate it. When the guest was leaving, I, my, I used to get really upset. I used to wonder if they'd come back. My dad and mom would tell me the same thing, and that advice reigns true today. Don't be sad. Don't be upset that they're leaving. Just remember the good times that you had together. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us true to Ramadan. Ameen. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us true friends of Ramadan. Ameen. Just like Abu Bakr was a true friend of the Prophet Sallallahu Oh Allah, allow us to carry on the habits that we had. Ameen. Oh Allah, don't let our habits change that we conflict who we were in Ramadan. Ameen. Don't let us contradict ourselves this month. Ameen. Allow us to carry on this strength. Allow us to carry on the Qur'an. Allow us to carry on the Salah. Allow us to carry on the charity. Oh Allah, allow our hearts to stay pure as it was in the month of Ramadan. Amin, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Barakallahu Fikum. Mufti Sahib.
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى خصوصا على سيد الرسل وخاتم الانبياء وعلى اله الاسكياء واصحابه الاتقياء اما بعد السلام عليكم just out of respect for mufti sahab inshallah we'd like to give our focus and attention to him inshallah We'll give everyone a moment. I know people have places to go and things, so we'll let, let everyone head out, inshallah, wrap up the conversations, because this is a very serious moment. So we want to, inshallah, just give our respect. Remember, it's only a few hours left, guys. Sorry. Thank you. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> I think we should start by thanking Ustad Murphy for his amazing words of wisdom and those powerful reflections. He in the process of nourishing his soul, um, gave us all an opportunity to join him on that journey. So we are thankful for that. In life, there's this constant race that occurs, this struggle, these two parallel roads of the actions of the person and their intentions. Sometimes you have these amazing intentions and emotions and you feel really strong about something. But in that moment, your actions can't catch up. And at other times, your actions are there and they're in the lead and they're taking off far, but your intentions aren't there, that sincerity isn't there, and it's catching up. Some people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honors them in a sense that the two meet where you get your actions and your sincerity at the same time. Literally, the whole story of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anh, every moment of his life, his ikhlas and amal were together. His sincerity and actions were in match. There were companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam who due to their unique circumstances couldn't find the opportunity where they both aligned. They had this drive, they wanted something. But circumstances didn't allow them to end up carrying out those dreams. For many of us this Ramadan, there was a dream that, you know, I'm going to read a lot of Quran. And this Ramadan, I'm going to do extra qiyam and I'm going to fast with my whole heart. And then the doctor said, you're not fasting this month. Mm. And it shatters your heart and you're like, really? And it takes so much energy to find that moment of sincerity, so much excitement, but you realize you just missed the train. And you're like, I'm going to do qiyam every single night. I'm not letting it go. But then you find out that your classes will happen every day and there's no way you can go around that. Or you will need to go to work. <laughs> not from home. Not from home. <laughs> So then you concede, oh gosh, another one of those moments. And life is full of this tug of war where you're trying to pull everything to align, but then life pulls back with equal or more force and says, I won't allow it. So the heart remains unsatisfied, like, a, like, a, like soil that is dry and just waiting for a single drop to fall on it. Sometimes it's frustrating, lonely, that why do things not line up for me? I'm trying so hard. That sincerity that an individual has in that moment is so valuable that it has the capacity and ability to walk you to the doors in Jannah and beyond even if the amal isn't there. Considering the action was missed due to circumstances that were beyond you. So therefore we cancel out laziness. We're talking about someone who's really trying, like a mother who really wants to be at the masjid but knows that she has to put her child to sleep because tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, i got to drive them to school. Like a young person who knows that I can't stay awake till 3 a.m. on a weekday because I need to be in class. I need to go to work tomorrow. Going to sleep that night is hard and the rest of the day you might feel frustrated because you're not able to make the most of your Ramadan the way you want it to. There's anger some sort of stress there. But never let go of those feelings. Because being able to engage the heart is very difficult. It's not for everyone.
But if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows you to, de to desire something, then know that this is the beginning of your awakening. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows the heart to have shawq for something, to desire it. And you continue, because once a person desires something, the human being is ambitious. They won't give up until they find it. They will keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. A sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the hadith is in Bukhari. He was convicted of consuming alcohol on multiple accounts. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam each time told the companions, Imam Bukhari narrates the hadith in his kitab al-Hudud, the chapter on corporal punishment. So he would, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa would tell the companions, go take him outside and give him his punishment. On the third or fourth occasion, depending on the riwayah, one person said, may Allah's curse be upon this person, he never learns this lesson. Because they were looking at this person's external and his actions didn't add up to what everyone else was doing, therefore he must be a wretched person. Rasulullah stood up for him and said, Don't curse him. He loves Allah and his messenger, his heart is there, his actions will catch up. And Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, the famous commentator of hadith, and a person who's written thousands and thousands of pages on hadith, he writes that I've never come across a hadith that is more hopeful than this narration. Because this hadith shows us that sometimes you might miss the train. Your actions may not be there, but your heart can love Allah. Even sinners can love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even people who missed opportunity can love Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will continue to open doors for them. This is not a concession to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather, it is a consolation for those of us that are trying. Because life is about that struggle. وَمَنْ جَاهَدَ فَإِنَّمَا يُجَاهِدُ لِنَفْسِي that whoever struggles, their struggle is for themselves. That people who believe and love Allah, they don't stop. They keep going until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide them. Another example that comes to my mind is that of Uwais al-Qarni. His narration, you can find in Imam Hakim's Mustadrak, where he talks about this individual who lived not far from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yet was deprived of meeting Rasulullah Like that person who's in Ramadan and can't follow through on their dream schedule. Everyone was doing it. Everyone was traveling from his city to go meet Rasulullah I can imagine his buddies from Yemen saying, hey, we're going to Medina to go meet the Prophet And here he is with a heavy heart saying, I can't go because I have my mother. And I need to look after her. And he passed up on the opportunity of laying eyes on the most beautiful, amazing person this earth had ever seen. Because circumstances didn't allow it. Ah, oh, the weight in this person's heart. How heavy that must have been for him. Years of just thinking, did I do it right? Did I do it wrong? And then he shows up for Hajj. Umar radiallahu an announces, Afikum ahlul Yemen. Are the Yemenis here? They stand up. Afikum Ahlul Qarn, how about the people from the tribe of Qarn? They remain standing. Afikum Uwais is Uwais here. They said, Amir al Mu'mineen, he's in his tent over there. So Umar radiallahu anh goes to meet him. And he says to him, That Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam conveys his salam to you. Ah, the man without the amal who took the trophy. Rasulullah gives you his salam. And in one narration, he requested dua from him. Then make dua for me. You must be beloved to the Prophet of Allah, so you are beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes a person's so close, but they miss it. Qisatul Utabi, another famous one that Imam Nawi narrates in his Al-Adhkar. Of a man who showed up to Medina Munawwara. Are you guys ready? Brace yourself. He showed up to Medina three days after the Prophet passed away. Three days. Three days late. They had buried the Prophet of Allah. He went to the Prophet's grave. And he said, O Messenger of Allah, 
Allah says in the Quran, وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ إِذْ ظَلَمُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ جَاءُوكَ فَاسْتَغْفَرُوا اللَّهُ وَاسْتَغْفَرَ لَهُمُ الرَّسُولُ لَوَجَدُوا اللَّهَ تَوَابُ الرَّحِيمًا That the companions had something special. That when they did wrong, they would come to you. They would ask Allah for forgiveness. You would see forgiveness on their behalf. Allah would pardon them. So what happens to people like me? He's talking for everyone that's going to come until the Day of Judgment. But he was the one who showed up three days late. So he was there in tears. And he said some lines of poetry. Very softly, in an undertone, he said some words and he walked away. There was a pious individual in Medina Munawwara who saw a dream. And Rasulullah said, go and tell that person that we loved your poetry. So he went looking for this Bedouin from caravanserai to caravanserai. Until finally he found him and said, what was the line of poetry you said? So then he said, that I said, Ya khayra man dufinat fil qa'i a'zamuhu fataba min tibihinna al-qa'u wal-akamu nafsil fida'u li qabrin anta sakinuhu fihi al-afafu wa fihi al-judu wal-karamu anta al-shafi'u al-ladhi turja shafa'atuhu ala al-sirati idha ma zallat al-qadamu wa sahibaka fala ansahuma abada minna as-salamu alaykum majar al-qalamu It's words of love to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam looking up to, looking forward to the intercession of Rasulullah If you go to the grave of Nabi until today, right now, if you went, and you went from the front of the grave of Nabi and if you Google this, you'll see the image. There are these beautiful golden uh, like fence-like mesh ornament grill. And on the side of it, there are these marble pillars and in the middle of the marble pillars, there's some poetry. It's his poetry. It remains outside the grave of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam till today. Ya khayra man dufinat fil Right? Sometimes a person is very close, but they miss it. You must remember that Ramadan is the month of love. It's a month where everyone comes together and they do their best because this is the season of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah. This is an opportunity for all of us to give the best we have. It's easy for us to sell ourselves short. For those of you who know me in the classroom, you know very well, I keep saying to my students, keep going all out, keep pushing yourself. That's the message from the beginning of Ramadan till the end of it. But now as we're in those closing moments, the lesson now is, thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Say Alhamdulillah for every sajda, for every tear, for every harf that you recited, for every step you took inside the masjid because this only happened because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed it. This Ramadan, we made a commitment, we made a statement, and that claim was not through our words but rather through our actions that, Ya Allah, I won't only show up with my statements, I will show up with my actions, I will be here waiting for your forgiveness. I'm waiting for that day that my actions and my intentions align so I can taste the sweetness of love. For the believer spends their life chasing that love. And a point comes where those bitter moments of not experiencing the two align becomes a part of the norm. And you understand that that joy of continuously chasing and pushing and going ahead is the destination itself. Because the moment those two are aligned together in its true essence will be the day that we meet Allah in Jannah. That a person sees that today it all lines up. As for this dunya, someday your a'mal are ahead, your actions are ahead, and your sincerity falls behind. And other days, your sincerity is ahead and your a'mal fall behind. And you learn to accept that circumstances in life cannot be fought against, they cannot be hated, because otherwise you'll end up hating those that are closest to you and you'll end up resenting yourself. Are you going to hate your college classes for not being able to attend Qiyam? Are you going to hate your children because they were the reason that you had to you know, go to sleep early, that you couldn't read the Qur'an? Are you going to hate the world because you weren't able to achieve something that you really much desire? No. You accept the world for what it is. This is life. And I'm very happy because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me these responsibilities and put these circumstances in my life because they are a part of me.
This is my sacrifice. This is where I learn. This is where I grow. You know that story of uh, Owais al-Qarni that I was sharing earlier? He didn't get a chance to see Rasulullah But imagine the joy in that moment when he sees Umar saying, the Prophet of Allah conveys his salam to you. The believer's journey in life is seeking that love. And they won't stop at anything and they will keep going forward and keep trying because Those who believe in Allah, they won't stop. They'll keep going. And for some, coming to that realization and walking on this path takes years while for others, as soon as that light ignites in their heart and they can see through their ruh, they can't stop. They just want to keep going. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ سَيَجَعَلُوا لَهُمُ الرَّحْمَانُ وُدَّةِ That indeed those who believe and do good deeds, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates a special form of love for them. And the Mufassirun, while commenting on this, they share a riwayah, a narration, that it's at that moment that when a person keeps trying and they're struggling, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala announces to Jibreel, Ya Jibreel, inni yuhibbu fulanan fa'ahibbahu That I love so and so, so now you will love him too. And Jibreel alayhi salam then announces to the angels that Allah loves so and so, I love so and so, so everyone lined up because now we will love this individual. A person that's trying. A person that's struggling. Love requires sacrifice, my friends. And Ramadan was our moment of sacrifice. Love requires you getting out of your comfort zone. Attaining that love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so valuable, so the challenges that lie on that road will not be small, they will be big, but most of them will be you understanding you. Therefore they say that the one who understands himself in reality has now begun to understand Allah. When arafa nafsahu arafa rabbahu. You have to first come to terms with yourself. What are my circumstances? What is my life? And then you begin to fit it in because if you can't do this, your personal life and religious life will constantly be at clash. And this is a barrier that's very hard and difficult to remove. Understanding your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is accepting who you are and what your challenges are in life while also knowing that you won't stop. Right till the end, you will keep going. I wanted to conclude today with a poem of Abu Firas al-Hamdani. It's a beautiful uh, few lines that he writes. And it really captures what this journey actually is. He says, فَلَيْتَكَ تَحْلُوا وَالْحَيَاةُ مَرِيرًا فَلَيْتَكَ تَحْلُوا وَالْحَيَاةُ مَرِيرًا وَلَيْتَكَ تَرْضَى وَالْأَنَامُ غِضَابٌ وَلَيْتَ الَّذِي بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَكَ عَامِرٌ وَبَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ الْعَالَمِينَ خَرَابٌ إِذَا صَحَّ الْوُدَّ مِنْكَ فَالْكُلُّ هَيٍّ وَكُلُّ الَّذِي فَوْقَ التُرَابِ تُرَابٌ I hope that you remain sweet amidst the bitterness of life. I hope that you be pleased while all others angered in strife. I hope that what is between you and I is built strong and intact while what is between them and I is in ruin, fallen, and collapsed. If the love received from you is true, then all else becomes easy. For everything above dust is too dust and fleeting. Don't give up. Be happy. This is a long journey. Don't get tired. A point will come where you will begin to understand that loving Allah and the sacrifices involved with chasing that love are the journey and they are the destination both at once. You go from resenting everything that stops you from achieving what you're trying to achieve to knowing that this is a part of it and that Attaining that goal is something that you may accomplish in certain windows while you're in sajda or in a place with your hands raised. But the struggle will continue. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees the fire that is burning in your heart. May He allow this fire to never extinguish. May this love remain through all storms and all rain. May this desire continue to fuel us every day and night. May the love we've learned to sacrifice for burn into our heart and never abandon us. That after Ramadan when we sleep, right before we close our eyes, we think of our Allah and thank Him for life. And that when we wake up in the morning, we smile and thank Him for life. And that when we struggle, we smile and thank Him for His companionship. And that when we smile, we smile and thank Him for His favor and kindness. That every moment of every sajda is Him drawing us near. That every time that we are in the markets, knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still keeps us very, very dear, He allows us to remember Him. He allows us to love Him. And beyond that, what more can we ask from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that is the essence of iman. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always accept. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you feeling? Alhamdulillah. It's an odd night. Can I, can I, as our, as our next final concluding speakers come, can I just tell you guys something? Just like there is narrations about the 23rd, the 25th, the 27th, I haven't heard any about the 21st, what do you saw? There probably might be one. There is strong indication that 29th night also holds potentially the power of Laylatul Qadr. And this is something that's backed up by many notable companions and scholars. And I want you to imagine that the angels surrounding this room right now have given your name to Allah. So this person, oh Allah, it's 2.30. I don't know what day it is, Ramadan problems. Saturday. Oh Allah, this person is sitting there in a room that's probably about 78 degrees right now. There's a lot of bodies, oh Allah. And they submitted your name to Allah to tell him that you're doing exactly what you should be doing on the odd nights of the last 10.